the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. So if you will, let's look for just a moment as we are now learning that salvation was by grace and mercy and faith before Christ. Salvation is by grace, mercy, and faith during the time of Christ. And salvation was by grace, mercy, and faith since the time of Christ. And so in verse 4, excuse me, verse 5 of Romans chapter 4, this verse is so good, I encourage you to underline it and memorize it and own it in your heart as a great verse, knowing that it's salvation by faith and not works. Verse 5 says this, But to the one who does not work, and I like the fact that he didn't identify all the different works. He just says, if you don't work, implying that any work that you do, thinking that that work will help you get a relationship with God, who does not work, but believes in him. That's important. Not just believes him. That is good. You have to believe him, that he is who he is. You're believing him, what he's saying to you. But now you're putting your confidence in who he is and what he's done who justifies the ungodly, and then it says his faith is credited or put to the account as righteousness. So once you place your faith in him, put on your heavenly account, is the righteousness necessary to get to heaven. So simply stated, works righteousness don't get you to heaven. Faith righteousness does. And faith is only work that's not a work, we might say. Now I want to take you back in time for a moment as we go over this passage. If you recall now, Paul, the apostle, was probably one of the chief Jews. We know that he was Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. That he was one that was an apostle that knew God's word intimately, deeply. He would be speaking the mind of Christ in word fashion and writing it and having it written down so that we would have it for today. Now he is now writing to the church at Rome made up primarily of Jewish believers. And of course these Jewish believers are coming with a lot of baggage from their Jewish teachings. Now, I wish I had the time to share with you some of the rabbinical writings. These would be great rabbis from the time of Paul or even before that would be writing about what was necessary for Jewish people to get to heaven. These rabbinical writers would be ones that would try to interpret their Old Testament writings. And all of them you'll find will emphasize that some form of ritual or regulation was necessary to get to heaven. Now, in the context here, we're going to talk about circumcision. But let's go back now. He's just now read this passage that says, But to him that works not, but believes in him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. That particular verse. I can only imagine there would be some Jewish people that all of a sudden are listening to the reader of this letter that Paul wrote from a great distance. And they're following along, nodding, hearing pretty much, Oh, I hear he's talking about Abraham. He's one of our great heroes. Yeah, our man Abraham. And all of a sudden we hear it's not by works, it's only by faith. And not even by circumcision. Pandemonium would break out because people would say, wait a second, there's a contradiction. Here what we've heard is that it's by faith and we've always known that it was by some form of religious work. In this context, circumcision. What in the world is going on? 
So Paul now begins to address the issue of circumcision. Now, some of you, you might be saying, I'm sitting in a seminary class. I thought I was coming to a church service. Remember the pen illustration because you'll really worship the Lord more deeply, more authentically when you understand all that's going on. Now, while we will talk about circumcision, I want you to know that it can easily be tied to what we do and what we might call the Protestant belief system, which would be baptism and communion. I'm only going to use those two. A lot of times we wed those two great truths that are found in Scripture, as is circumcision. And so as the Jews would think, circumcision is a part of getting into heaven. Therefore, baptism of any form of baptism or even communion must be a part of what we must do in order to have eternal life. So this is very relevant for today. It's very relevant for many of your families or your neighbors so that you would understand that salvation is still by faith alone. Now, since our topic today is circumcision... I want you to know that um, this is kind of difficult for me to speak on as a guy, all right? As a pastor, I find three topics that are the most difficult. I'm just going to bear my soul with you. The three that are would be hell. I really believe in a literal hell, a lake of fire type of hell, a damnation, condemnation. But the worst part about being in hell is being separated from Jesus Christ for all eternity, a damning place for those that don't know Christ as their Savior. That's a hard subject for me to speak on. The second is going to be on the actual, what I'll call the passion of Christ, the suffering of Christ of all that he went through during that particular passion time leading up to and being nailed to the cross and then living on the cross for a period of time before he finally died. And then when God the Father had to turn his head away and all blackness set in at that moment when Jesus took all of our sin for all time of all people and paid for them in such a way that would satisfy God the Father. That's very hard for me to speak on because of what Christ went through. And I think circumcision is a way only because sometimes it's a little bit more tender because it's talking about the part of the male body. Now, if you don't know what that is, lean over to a family member of the same sex and say, what is he talking about? You'll get the message real quick and you'll make more sense out of this. Now, let me mention something about it. Some people might say, why are, Stan, or why are you going to spend an entire morning just dealing with circumcision here in this context? There are a lot of reasons. One reason is because it is found in the Bible and as a Bible expositor and we're going verse by verse and we hit on this stuff, we've got to talk about it. So there'll be other topics when I hit, you'll think, why are we talking about that in church? Because it's in the Bible and we're teaching the Bible. The second is because God brought it up in the Bible. And so I decided to do a little study of all the times the word circumcised or circumcision is found in Scripture. It didn't, it's not in Scripture 10 times, 20 times, 30 times, 40 times, 50 times. I counted at least 89 times in the English Bible alone that some form of the word circumcision is found. Now, you compare that to some other terms that we hold very high and dear and we really hang on to. You'll find that circumcision is even mentioned more than that. And so that must tell you that there must be an incredible amount of emphasis by God. There's a reason for circumcision to be done and mentioned in Scripture and why Satan will take it and make it so ununderstandable or misunderstood or incorrect. And so all of a sudden it messes up people away from God. So we need to understand what it really means and why it's so very, very important. And that's really why we are here today. Now remember, circumcision, according to Jewish teaching, was a form of a work. And there are a lot of religions today that will do a lot of, watch this now, religious deeds and tell people it's those religious deeds that you do that will get you to heaven. 
They will even take things that will not make sense to us and turn them into a religious deed. And if you do that, you will somehow appease some kind of an angry God. You can take it into the Roman Catholic belief system, especially when you get it out of the United States and you put it into South America or Mexico and some of these places. And the things that those folks are taught to do in order to somehow appease God will make your hair curl. If you take it into our own Hawaiian culture here and you take it all the way back for how many centuries you want and you hear what they needed to do, what they had to do in some fashion to please God, their God, you'll find that, again, works are found in it. And so I want you to know whether you go into the Jewish writings or whether you go into secular writings or religious writings, some form of work is found. And I will even say in Protestantism, you will find it as well, that works are somehow embedded in that. But when you get into, watch this, True biblical Christianity, it's grace heaped upon grace. Now, works has a part in it, not for salvation, not for keeping and securing our salvation. It is something we do as a way to say thank you to the Lord, if I can oversimplify it. But it's technically even God doing the work in you through Christ the Holy Spirit. So it's really His works being performed out through us. Now, that being said... I read you the portion of Scripture as we began our study, so I won't do that again. But I'd like to answer a number of questions here. And so today we're going to answer one question, that is, what about circumcision? What what about it? Well, obviously you know that that is a particular surgical operation performed upon a male member. And according to uh, the Old Testament, it was to be done by the eighth day. And there was a particular reason for that. It really fit a sign and a seal. And we spent some time, and we'll talk more about that in just a little bit. So that's really what it is. You do need to, need to know that other writings had a lot to say about circumcision because it was such, such a popular and needed-to-be-done event on a male uh, member. Barclay says this, To a Jew, a man who was not circumcised was, quite literally, not a Jew. No matter what his parentage was, he was not a Jew. And then he quotes a Jewish prayer that goes like this. Blessed is he who sanctified his beloved from the womb, meaning his beloved son from the womb, and put his ordinance upon his flesh. That would be like a knife. And sealed his offspring by the sign of the holy covenant. Now that interesting phrase, holy covenant, we're going to come back to because circumcision is a part of what we like to refer to as the Abrahamic covenant. And what that means to the Jewish people, but what it means to all nations because in a sense, by spiritual connection, we are part of that Abrahamic covenant. Not in its totality, but in our saving faith in Christ. Now the question then would be, with this particular uh, uh, desire you'll find that people even in the Bible days wanted to become Jewish and wanted to follow the Jews. In the Old Testament, there was a mixed multitude that left Egypt with the Jews, and so they tried to partner up with the Jews, and they were always like a a ball and chain through the wilderness experience. You'll find there were those that didn't do that. They wanted to become Jewish other ways. So what was a way that a Gentile could become a Jew? Primarily the three ways that are taught. Now, these are not found in Scripture, but they are found in the writings. So if someone came to a Jew and said, I want to be a Jew, what do I need to do? The writings then would say these three things you needed to do. Number one, you needed to be baptized, which is very interesting because if you remember, John the Baptist Baptist was baptizing people. So baptism was a way to show solidarity into Judaism. The second would be by doing a sacrifice, that they too were called upon to sacrifice. Those of you that are reading, particularly Leviticus, you're going to find who can sacrifice, who couldn't sacrifice, who needed to sacrifice, what they needed to do when they sacrificed. So the whole concept of sacrifice was done by Jewish people, but also by those outside the Jewish faith who wanted to come in. And the third would be circumcision. They had to be circumcised. As a side note for those of you that want a little bit more out of this, you'll remember that the circumcision was to occur. They went, uh, uh, 
they left Egypt. They went through um, the Red Sea. And then through the 40 years, the much of the writing that I've read, I could not find that those Jews were circumcised at all during those 40 years. That by the time they were ready to go into the promised land, if you recall, Joshua was told by the Lord to take the men, and this would be adult men as well, and they needed to be circumcised. And there's a reason for that again. It's a part of that solidarity dynamic. Now... That whole concept of circumcision really begins in a train of promises that the Lord made that were basically the same promises, watch this phrase, first in an embryonic stage. That means it was like a little seed, like a little time. Carol and I have got some what what you call um, uh, papayas growing in the backyard, and someone gave us some seeds. So that was a papaya, even though it was a seed, but we couldn't eat it or enjoy it yet, but it was a seed. So there's some, some of this that are found in a seed fashion. It ended up then, watch this now, with the covenant, the final covenant being then circumcision. That means the promise. All right, now that being in mind, so what is simply stated a covenant? A covenant in this case of circumcision was the act done on a boy that was now setting him in the direction to have a true and living relationship with God. So again, this is a part of an act done that would set them in the direction that they would encompass all of what God would have for them as his covenant people. Now, it involved a lot. When you come back next week, what I'm going to do is I'll have in a chart fashion for you the Abrahamic covenant that would be what were the promise, this is very important for you, what is the promise that God made to the Jews? And I'll have that listed out with points and subpoints and verses. Now, and, I'm, and I'll, they'll all start with the letter P so you can remember it. Now, why am I telling you that? Let me, you got to get all of this. I'm sorry it sounds like a seminary class, but you got to go deep into this. This is critical. When you're hearing and you open up the newspaper and you're watching television, you're hearing all that's going on with the Palestinians and Hamas and everybody fighting for the land and what is really going on. Why is there so much tension going on? Why is it happening the way it's happening? You're seeing a lot of that because of a covenant that God made to the Jewish people and why they are so adamantly willing to do whatever they can to preserve their piece of real estate because as they look at their land, they're not only looking at their land, they're looking at their culture, they're looking at their people group, they're looking at the promise that God given to them. Stay with me now. Embedded in all of that is not only would they have so many people like the sand and the sea, but embedded in that would be the Redeemer for the world, which would be the Savior for the world, which would be the Messiah for the world, which would be Jesus Christ, and it would be by faith alone. And it's all embedded in that. This is hard for them sometimes to pick it out because Satan has blinded so many Jews, but not all of them. Now, those of you that are interested in know, can Jews still be saved today? Are they being saved today? Our winter Bible conference this year is going to be taught by Arnold Fruchtenbaum of Ariel Ministries, who himself is a converted Jew, who now will be presenting more teaching on this for those of you that want it. That'll be in January. More information about that later. So question one is the significance of circumcision is to establish the covenant that God had with a group of people, starting with Abraham known as Jewish people. Why did God initiate this particular sign for his chosen people? I'm going to give you three simple ones, and then I'll open up to a little bit more. The first one is circumcision is a permanent mark on a man's body, all right? Usually a little eight-day boy, but later on, if he wasn't circumcised, later on, he needed to be circumcised. So it was a mark on his body. And that marked him forever. Now, although it was a surgical thing that was done, and maybe there's some of you men that you're not Jewish, you weren't, it wasn't done because of any Jewish covenant with you, you just had it done because that's what they did back then, um, and that might be the case, and I'm not going to ask for any raise of hands on that. My point simply being is, it, while it was a surgical procedure that was done, it was done on them, and it marked that man forever. You can't uncircumcise someone once you've circumcised them. Can you put a smile on your face if you know what I mean? 
All right, I got that. All right. Now, that being the case, I want you to remember something. Some of this can be tied to as we begin to look at what went on with Jesus Christ. He died on the cross. There was a bloody death that was there. There was a painful suffering that went there. But at the end of all of that, he rose again from the dead. We have joy forevermore, and we enter into that forever relationship. So even that momentary act of circumcision, there's blood there, there's suffering there, there's a marking there forever to that young boy. So he's marked forever. Secondly, circumcision served as a private reminder to the man. That meant whatever he took off his clothes, whatever bodily function that he would do, that he would then be able to see what was happening. So this circumcision tied him to a religious rite that happened as a covenant from God that was stated then in Genesis chapter 17. So it had great significance to him. So every time he looked at himself, he would always remember. It was funny because we had a person in our family many years ago, back when the war was going on in Iraq and he was a medic, and he was at what they call the front of the spear of, of um, Operation Anaconda. And so he was trying to take the guys out that were all beat up and blown up and all of that. And it bothered him so much that he decided to have tattoos. So he had tattoos, went from his wrist all the way to his arm. He was just completely tattooed all over as much as he could. And when I asked him, why did you do that? He says, so that every time I look at this, I could always remember what went on in the war. And... Uh, some of you are saying, wow, that, that's a great sacrifice. The problem is ever since then he dealt with depression like you could never imagine. He's lost his marriage. He's lost his family because every time he sees himself in the mirror, those tattoos remind him of something, of the pain and suffering and depression. Now, with the man, as he would then look at these things, he would not think of the pain and the suffering because he was eight days old. What would he think about? This was all started by God for a reason, and that was a covenant relationship that he would have with us some promises that God would make. Number three, circumcision continually reminded the man of his spiritual obligations, spiritual obligations. Now, let me make this clear. Even though the circumcision was done on an eight-day-old boy, the eight-day-old boy didn't know what was happening. Now, I don't remember what I was doing when I was eight days old. But as I got older, my family would explain things. In the Jewish family, you wouldn't know it as an eight-day boy, eight-day-old boy. But as you got older, the father then would sit down and begin to explain to the son, this is why you are circumcised. This is how it fits into the plan of God with, watch this now, Father Abraham. Because Father Abraham was the first man to be circumcised as he began a whole new group called us, the Jews that were here. And so Jewish circumcision became very important. And now we would tell the son that was a covenant that God made with us. And that covenant had a lot of things involved in it. And that we are being vitally connected to Jehovah Yahweh God. And so now we are on a road to continue to honor God, to serve him, to know him. We are his people. All right. And so this became that part of a spiritual obligation to continue to grow. And of course, a lot of the other stuff is piled up on top of that that we've already studied. All right. Number three, must a person be circumcised to be saved? We already answered that earlier on, but let's just simply say, no, you do not need to be circumcised to be saved. But I certainly can see why many of the Jewish people would sense that circumcision is so much with the covenant of God and being his people. And if I'm his people, that means I'm going to have an eternal relationship with him. So therefore, circumcision started this whole thing with me being born in this family. Therefore, circumcision is tied to eternal life. So if I'm circumcised, I have eternal life. And so now I'm going to count on my circumcision to have eternal life. And God says, no, that can't be. Now, I put together a chart for you in your outline. In that, it's going to answer the question, when was Abraham saved? All right. Now, in that chart, I'd like to give you something right before I give you those dates, so or, or chapters. 
So you might want to follow down in your outline. Those of you that are listening to me other places, let's uh, show you this little embryonic stage of the opening up of the covenant. There was this first promise of God. When I say first promise, it's not that there's a second promise that's different than the first one. It's like he says it once, and then he says it again, and then he says it again, and when he says it again, he then seals the deal with circumcision. So it's actually three different times, and I could find maybe one other time that's found. So if you're taking notes, let me give you the first little time it's mentioned. You can read it for yourself in Genesis chapter 12, um, verses 1 through, maybe take it through verse 10, and then Genesis chapter 13 is kind of reiterated again, but not in the full fashion. So he now gives this promise to Abraham, saying, I'm going to give you this land. You're going to leave here. You're going to leave these people. You've got to go over here. You've got to do this. So he's starting with that embryonic covenant that's now becoming a part of God to establish a new people group that'll be a people group after God. That's Genesis chapter 12 and 13. The second is Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 15, the Lord unloads that again on Abraham. And it's during this time he, that uh, Abraham comes out and he then believes in the Lord and it was counted to him for righteousness. He believed God at that time. And all the scholars would agree that it was at that moment that Abraham became a Christian. That, or I shouldn't say a Christian, let me erase that. That's when he became a person in God's forever family because he placed his faith alone in Christ, or in the Lord Jehovah, the coming God, believing in God. Now, the third time it's mentioned is in Genesis 17. In Genesis 17, and this is the one you want to put a star by it, because at this one, when the Lord made that promise to Abraham, he then sealed the deal with circumcision. And what was interesting, it was that as these were being circumcised, it was said this way. Listen carefully. This is my covenant with you. Now that's important. That's the Lord saying, this is my covenant with you and you shall fulfill my covenant. It's not the covenant of the people with God. It's the covenant, the promise, the unconditional promise of God to those people. So now, the question is, do I have to be circumcised to be saved? The answer would be no. Genesis chapter 17, and you have Genesis chapter 15. Between 15 and 17 are 14 years. He was saved in Genesis 15. It wasn't until 14 years later that he was circumcised. Now, if you really want to add more numbers to this, if you go back to Genesis chapter 12 and 13, that was 10 years before. So he begins to give him this vocal little promise, and then 10 years later... Abraham gets saved. 14 years later, he is circumcised. So technically, you can see that circumcision was really at the end of the train of this, not as a cause of their salvation. I do this and now my result is that I'm saved. It wasn't that way at all. He was already saved. So watch this. Circumcision primarily is an outward sign of an inward act, very similar to baptism, which I'll talk about in a moment. So I wanted you to see that this was something that, no, they do not have to do in order to go to heaven. It's different than that. All right, the fourth question is this. What is the point of circumcision if not to provide salvation? It's a sign and it's a seal. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope they're still open, look in Romans chapter 4, and I'm going to read this passage and bring you up to this section of it so you can see what he's talking about here and make some sense out of it. I will make this practical on baptism, and I'll talk a little bit about our baptism here, a little bit about baby baptism, infant baptism, and the like. So give me just a moment. We'll build toward that, and then we'll be done. 
So verse 9 says, This blessing then on the circumcised, what blessing is he really talking about? Well, we could talk about the whole covenant. We could talk about being saved by faith alone. We could talk about verse 8 since it's all kind of connected when it says, Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Is this blessing then, in this blessing then on the circumcised? I mean, is this only on Jewish people or is it on the uncircumcised? Because Jews were the ones known as being circumcised. Those who were not Jewish were known as being uncircumcised. Is it on them also? All right, if you will take a moment and look up here. All right, when you, when you do this study, the Jewish people so embraced the significance of circumcision that when they wanted to say something nasty to you, almost like a curse word, or to refer to you as a, 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 in a cursing type of way, and I don't want to use any earthly illustrations, just in your own mind for a moment, if you wanted to identify a group of people and you wanted to give them an ugly name, you know what you might call them by that ugly name. Hope you don't, better not. But you got my point. If you'll recall, David was hearing what was going on as a young boy with the Philistine. And finally he looked around to his brothers and he says, Is this the uncircumcised Philistine? He didn't say that once. He said it twice. And numerous times in the Old Testament, when they wanted to refer to a Gentile in such a denigrated way, they would then refer to him not as just a Gentile, not just as a lost heathen. They would say, you uncircumcised, you non-covenant person, you person so away from God, you're not a part of it. And that's what they would be saying. So the real question then is, can the circumcised get saved? Sure. What about the uncircumcised Philistine, so to speak? Could they be saved? Now, can you see where the salvation is now broadening besides just a small little group of people that God in His infinite wisdom so loved the world that He gave His Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Go back to the passage again. Verse 10 says, Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. Can he also get saved then? Sure. Verse 11, And he received the sign of circumcision, meaning the Jew, particularly Abraham, You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.